Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, an Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by Oscar-winning producer, director, and writer, Joseph Patel. Stay tuned. Okay, how many times have you been proud of creating something or doing something amazing, but there's no one around to share it with? There's certainly an excitement, a joy, a quiet confidence and trust that flows from just the accomplishment, but it kind of also feels good to get recognized and share it with others, to learn and iterate, to role model for the future, and to build community with it. Speaking of community and feeling good, thanks so much for listening and sharing with your friends and family, for subscribing to and downloading and rating the podcast, and for following us on social media at Dr. Abhaydandika. A few weeks ago, Joseph Patel became the 11th person of South Asian descent ever to win an Academy Award, winning as a producer for the best documentary, Summer of Soul, a film about the 1969 Harlem Cultural Festival, which now has won numerous awards at Sundance and BAFTA, and is directed by Amir Questlove Thompson. Joseph is an Indian American who grew up in California and now is based in Brooklyn, New York. He began his career as a music and culture journalist and has been with MTV, Vice Media, and served as a content and creative director at The Fader and Vivo. For Joseph, this journey has been complex and filled with self-determination. And even more gratifying and important than winning awards and accolades are the imperatives of creating meaningful art and his sense of responsibility to the South Asian community at large. We caught up for a chat about the film and about his road to get here, but I also wanted to add a friendly suggestion for the next time he wins an Oscar. I, I must say, I hope that for your next Oscar, perhaps the introduction of your winning should be more as Joseph Bhai Patel. <laughs> Maybe that can happen uh, as the envelope gets open next time. You know, it's funny. They um, what they do is they when you get nominated, they have you fill out a form where you list how you want your name listed or or pronounced and pronounced on stage. So I will be cognizant of that the next time it happens. If it happens, <laughs> fantastic, good stuff. You know, before you even started that project and got linked to Amir. What was your engagement with music from the very late 60s, early 70s, and, and kind of that American cultural time period? Well, I guess first I'm a music junkie, and yeah. music is was sort of my first obsession in life, and a constant obsession. You know, music is how I really formed my worldview. Hmm. Um, it is how I learned about the arts and about literature and about design and photography and politics and economics. And it's really was really did shape my worldview. Yeah. And, and that's true even now, like music is really just my gateway for a lot of things. That being said, when I started this project, when it was first brought to me, 
the music of 69, specifically in the late 60s, is really a little bit out of my comfort zone. Huh. My pocket of stuff that I like, old stuff, is usually in like the early to mid-70s, late 70s. Okay. And I actually liked that it was out of my comfort zone because, you know, as a creative, one of the worst things, uh, not the worst things, I should say it's different for everybody, but one of the things that I worry about is if it's if 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 I'm telling a story about something that I think I know everything already, there's not a lot of room for exploration or curiosity or to be surprised. Mm. And so I actually really liked that this was just a little out of my comfort zone so that I it it would lead me, my curiosity would lead me to to just turn over every rock and look in every corner and really when I was doing the work of the research and and the reporting on behalf of uh, of of Amir and our film that I wouldn't think that I knew everything already. It would still drive me to look and see what else was there. Do you think that that helped design and sort of create some architecture for the process for you? Or was it a lot more fluid than that in that, you know, every day there was a new nugget or a new discovery that you were trying to, that was unfolding sort of as you went through the process? Yeah. I mean, you know, even just being told about the festival for the first time, I, I had never heard of it. And that was surprising. And then I, I called Amir and I'm like, okay, you're directing this film, but have you heard of this festival before? And he's like, no. Yeah. Wow. And so it was, you know, it was really the first order of business in, in making this film was what was this festival? Yeah. And why did it happen? And that very fundamental question really sort of leads your, 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 your reporting and your guidance and, and what you're looking for. You know, for you, in, in looking at the content, did, did the project offer at all a different lens to the music or, or, or the cultural experience um, or even sort of a different magnifying glass when, you know, you reflect on it now? Yeah, even while we were making the film, right, it's uh, one of the things that we did was we looked at musically what's happening in 1969 and, and, and then started looking at, you know, what I think one of the first things I asked my AP uh uh, Ashley Bembry Kaintuck to do on the film was like, give me like a synopsis of what every artist who performed at the festival, where they were in their career, mm. what came before, what came after, where were they in 69? You know, what we saw was a lot of music and transition, right? Yeah. So you have gospel music is starting to take on the sounds of secular music. You have uh, soul music that used to be Motown is now moving towards Sly. You have jazz music that's getting a lot more political and a lot more electric and a lot more, a lot louder. And you have, you know, groups like the fifth dimension that have one of the biggest hits in 1969. And it goes on to inform a lot of the sort of like, you know, pop music of the early seventies. So we saw the 69 as a year of transition and that really then became a theme for let's, what else is in transition in the context of the festival. So then you're looking at, well, oh, the civil rights movement is actually also happening. It's, it, there's this transitional moment happening. And, and it's this, the sort of classic civil rights era giving way to a more, uh, youth driven, uh, black power centered mm-hmm. civil rights movement, right? And 
those things aren't a coincidence. They're, it's part of the zeitgeist of what's happening. And you're seeing it both politically offstage and musically on stage. And so that really became our sort of core thesis for the film where it's like, Oh, this, this thing isn't, there's these things in transition and these, there's, it's just a really dynamic time. Let me ask you this. What, what and how much did you kind of learn about yourself from this project? That is a that there is a very long and deep answer to that, <laughs> because you know in my career I've done a lot of really cool things. Yeah. I've I've worked in a lot of cool places. I've done a lot of cool things. But if you and I had met on an airplane and you said, "Well, what do you do?" and I say, "I'm a producer and a director," yeah, and your f- first question would be, "What have you done that I've seen?" Right, and it would be very hard for me to explain to you what the fader magazine is or yeah. what the sh- a show I started in at MTV in the early two thousands, my block was and why it was important. And so I, I realized that this, this, I was always a late bloomer and, and I sort of came to this world late. I was, a, I started as a writer, yeah. uh, freelance journalist, uh, out of college and, um, was always involved in, in you know, a few different things. And, and it was in 2003 when I took a job at MTV that I transitioned from writing into producing and directing. But I didn't have a feature film. I didn't have a TV show. I didn't have something that you could watch on Netflix or something. And what I realized is around 2018, I was head of content at Vivo, the largest music platform in the world. Right. And I realized that I didn't have anything that really I could explain to just like normal people. Yeah. And, and I didn't have anything that was like widely seen by millions of people Mm. and i and i wanted something like that and so you know what i did was um i had an opportunity to be bought out at my at my job and i took the buyout and i went back to you know i reached out to people i knew in the film and tv world and said you know i'm available to do development work you know i reached out to dave sorolnik and he was at radical and so he's like hey you know we have this idea that needs some development it's like a half page now but we need to get like a 20 page treatment out of it yeah and i took it and it probably wasn't for great money but i took it uh, because i knew i would kill it and yeah. if i did that then maybe there was another opportunity that could uh, arise from that i'm a big sure. believer that that good luck is a product of good design. Like yeah. you, 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 re- you have to put yourself in a position to receive luck. Uh, it's not just going to happen uh, out of the blue. Um, you know, another analogy for that is you can't win the lottery unless you buy a ticket, right? Yeah. Like there's, yeah. I'm a believer in that. So I took this job of, de- of developing this idea for radical. I turned a half page idea into a 25 page treatment. I hired my own researcher on my own dime, sacrificing that expense, knowing that I could kill this treatment and really, really wow them. Yeah. And, and that might bear fruit with other opportunities. And that's exactly what happened. Sure. And while I was in the office one day, Dave came over to me and said, you know, do you know Questlove? And I've known Amir since 1996. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, I've known him for a very long time. And, uh, he's like, well, we just signed him up to do this movie and we need to put a producer with him. And would you be interested in that? And at first I actually said no, because I was like, well, why does Amir want to direct? Like, (laughs) I'm going to do all the work. He's going to get the credit. And like, why do I want to do that? Yeah. And, and so I talked to Amir, I'm like, why do you want to do this? And he, he 
explain to me how deeply personal this story was for him yeah and why he wanted to do this and he convinced me that that it was going to be for the right reasons and that's exactly what happened um you know he said to me he's like he's like we didn't know about this festival growing up but imagine if we did right. imagine if our generation understood something as big as woodstock happened yeah. but it was for black folks and I, I I could see that this story was resonating him because it also brought up all these other uh, uh, topics like of what does history remember and why? Yeah, why do we not consider Black history part of American history? Sure, and it just it just was this really rich, fertile soil of which to tell stories from, and so you know I I made the commitment to myself to 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 do this uh, project. And take on something that I'd never done before, mm. but it was all sort of by by weirdly by design. Yeah, I didn't know it was going to be this project, and and all of that is to say, all of those decisions I made at that time, it was all a risk. Yeah, and it was after, you know, one of the things about being a creative is you sort of get misled to believe that you know, like you have these creative crutches. Sure, and for a long time, my creative crutches were self destructive creative crutches. Mm. drinking drugs no sleep you feel like you have to stay up all night to do the work and i've slowly been unlearning that over through the years prior to saying yes to this film and so this film for me was the first project i did without relying on those self-destructive creative crutches it was me getting seven eight hours of sleep every night it was me or being organized and attacking things uh, and, and, and work, work, doing the work, but doing it in a different way than I'd ever done before. And this is the result of it. And, and, and so there's a, a lot of satisfaction, not only that we made a great film and that people loved it and that we won all these awards, but truly one of the deepest ways this resonates for me is that it showed me that I, I never had to rely on those creative crutches. Right. I didn't have to be bad to myself in order to be good creatively. And, and I'm really proud of that fact. And so I told you it was going to be a long and deep answer. I love it. But it is a very, it is a very meaningful thing to me because, you know, especially in, in the arts and, and look, I used to work at Vice, yeah. which was an incredibly toxic, incredibly destruct self, you know, it, it, it uh, uh, self-destructive behavior, self-sabotaging behavior. And, and I, le- I quit Vice at a uh, precisely a moment when it was about to blow up. Mm. And for the years in which it did blow up and I wasn't working there, I felt a little like fifth, the fifth beetle, right? Like yeah. you feel like, like you left this thing right before it got good. And that really sort of was a burden I had to live with for a while. So it was a very long journey for me personally to, 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 to do the work on myself, to be in a place to receive this opportunity yeah. and then to seize the opportunity once I got it. It sounds like an amazing journey for sure, but, but one that really takes that leap of faith in yourself and having at least the the self-trust and confidence. And I wonder if the film just became a vehicle and an emblem um, for what was already happening, like you said, by design. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is an incredible amount of faith that you have to show in yourself and a, a faith in the work that you've done. Yeah. Uh, cause I had been doing a lot of work on myself in the years prior to that. Yeah. And, and yeah, in, in, a, in a, in a way, the film to me will always be meaningful 
but for more than just its recognition. Sure. It's very meaningful to me personally. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Joseph Patel. Stay tuned. I'm Lily Singh, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation with writer, director, and producer, Joseph Patel. And let me ask you this. I mean, it's, it's likely, like you said, when you're talking to someone on a plane or the way that the public consumer and perhaps even stakeholders in the industry view it, but, but do the accolades in particular at all change your own relationship with this film, given what you just shared about your own personal journey? No, I think, I think the, the, for us, all we wanted to do was make a great film. Yeah. That's, that, that's, if you know people like Amir and, and myself, the, the reason why Amir and I get along is we're hardwired very similarly. Yeah. The, the, the joy is in doing, doing work that we, our friends would like, you know? So all we wanted to do was make a film that our friends would like, that our parents would like, that, that the homies that we trust, would enjoy and say, Oh, that's, that's a really great film. Um, and I think when you do that, it leads you down the, it's an honest way of doing things and it leads you down the right path, right. As, as opposed to trying to target an award or trying to target something very specific. We just wanted to make a dope film. And, and then we did that and then we got accepted to Sundance. And I remember being so excited that that happened. And I thought, Oh, nothing will be better than this. And then we won Sundance yeah. Right, we won the audience award and the grand jury award, which has never happened. Uh, no, that's not true. It's happened like five times in the history of the documentary category prior. And I started crying when we I found out because it was like this rush of emotion that oh, we did this, and I thought that was the best it was ever going to get. <laughs> and then a week later, our film gets bought by Searchlight and Onyx Collective and Hulu. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. We're going to be released in theaters. And I thought yeah. that was the best it was ever going to get. And then it just kept going. And, and, it's, and it's crazy because all of it is gravy because really all we just wanted to do was, was make an incredible film that, that people that we respect would like. You mentioned earlier that you know, your hardwiring really plays a role here in how, you, how this came about, how you interacted with um, Amir and you've been intimately involved in studying and writing about music and culture for a long time now. Are there elements of your childhood and sort of your own cultural development that play in here into that hardwiring? I mean, were there elements of your own upbringing that sort of made its way through into this emblem, into this sort of expression? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what I mean when I say I'm hardwired a certain way, right? It's all as a result of how I grew up and all as a result of the tension that I had with my parents about what I wanted to do for a living. It's all a result of the friends that I had and the things that I chose to do. I think that's what I mean by when I say that I'm hardwired a certain way. You know, I never wanted to, you know, my parents, like a lot of South Asian parents, they wanted me to be a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer, uh, go into finance. And I resisted that, right? I, I, I knew very early on that that's not what I wanted to do. And I tried it as soon as I got out of college. I tried working at a finance, I, I took interviews with like finance companies and 
I didn't have the grades or the background for it. But in parallel to the education I was getting in college, I was also getting a music education. I had yeah. found a crew of people that I, uh, we started a record label together. I had a radio show on the, on the college radio station. We started a record label called Soul Sides that was like DJ Shadow, Black Alicious, yeah. Lyrics Born. And, and my mentor, Jeff Chang, was, was instrumental in, in getting us all together to, to do that label. I had a, a radio show on, uh, for three years at KDVS. I was writing for hip hop magazines. And that was sort of like my shadow education, uh, happening Literally, at Davis. Yeah. yeah. Happening at Davis while I was enrolled in college. Yeah. And I've learned more from that experience than I ever did what I learned in college. And, uh, with the exception of some writing, I was an econ English double major. Uh, so I think, you know, a lot of, uh, ha, ha, we're all hardwired based on our experiences. And some of those experiences are negative experiences. Sure. And those are the things that help shape us, I think. So do you, do you think that there are elements of your South Asian background that are actually, that you can point to that are tangible in, in, in your approach or e- even any of the elements of your work now? I mean, I'm always conscious of my identity and my background. You know, when when your parents sacrifice everything to move to America, yeah. right? Of course, they want you to be a doctor and a lawyer and an engineer. Like they sure. didn't sacrifice all of that so that you could go work at a record label. <laughs> and so I, you know, I had a lot of tension with my parents, and and I understand it now in a way that I didn't understand it then. You know, but they did support me when when it came down to it. But you know, I'm I, I am very conscious of the fact that when when South, a lot of South Asians moved to America, especially when my parents did in the early seventies, they there's really the countries there's a, there's they see the divisions between black and white, and yeah. and and South Asians tend to assimilate more with with white culture, and 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 what I didn't realize at the time I grew up, I changed my name, my birth name is Monish, I changed it to to Joey. Yeah. When I was eight years old, because I was getting beat up on the playground and I just wanted to fit in. Sure. And I asked my parents if I could change my name to something that wouldn't get me beat up. Yeah. And they were fine with it because they had changed their names at their respective offices. And this is 70, 79, right? And it's a different country then. And, um, and what I learned when I got to college is that I had more in common with non-white people than I did with white people. Yeah. And that there was this language that we understood of each other of what it meant to not be to, to be non-white in this country. We yeah. faced a lot of the same things. And so I started finding a lot of solidarity in in my black and brown uh, schoolmates. And that's how I started finding my tribe. And so, yeah. yes, I think, you know, the, my identity and my mom, it's funny, ironically, my mom was born and raised in Uganda, yeah. right? Yeah. And so I, I just started, I started realizing that, oh, I don't want to aspire to this white notion of success. I have to sort of forge my own path and I have more solidarity with my, my black friends, my Asian friends. Mm-hmm. My, 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 my Mexican friends, my Cambodian friends, like it just, that, that was who I felt more comfortable with. Sure. And so in a lot, and that, and that's something that I've only built upon ever since then. So, um, all of that filters into like the work I do and, and my identity and how I do it now for me personally too, being South Asian, we are in a very privileged position to be able to exist in both white circles and black circles in this yeah. country and to choose the moments in which we do so. Yeah. And that is something that I didn't really understand until 
well into my adulthood where I realized that my presence in a room sometimes allowed white folks to claim that there was diversity when there really wasn't any. And, and sometimes I, I, I would be asked to be translator between, you know, hip hop artists that we were working with at one of the media companies I worked with and like the white editors, you know, at those, at those media companies. And like, you know, I was able to translate between brands that want to work in the hip hop space, but don't have anyone on their teams that are really authentic in that authentically in that space. Yeah. And, and some of the hip hop artists we worked with. And so, you know, I, I have recognized that being South Asian specifically allows me the privilege to sort of float in between those sort of two strata. Mm. Oscar Knight was so historic for South Asians. And you certainly recognize that what needs to happen now to sort of keep that momentum and that spirit alive and active and, and let more, and more artists sort of experience what you did? A lot. I think, you know, about three or four days before the Oscars, uh, uh, some we, there was a, a night celebrating a lot of the South Asian nominees and, and the people that were South Asians that were involved with nominated films. And it was a room full of uh, every, almost every brown person you've ever seen on television or in the movies. Yeah. And a ton of p- more people behind the, behind the scenes and hosted by Priyanka Chopra and Riz Ahmed and my friend Shruti Ganguly had, had put it together and uh, Aziz Ansari was there and, you know, Utgarsh was there and uh, Cal Penn was there and it was, it was a great gathering. Yeah. And I'll tell you what I told, said in that room, uh, speaking after Riz, is when I was growing up and wanting to be in the arts and being creative fields, I didn't have anyone to point to that yeah. was like the model of success that could convince my parents that this was a worthy endeavor. And now I was in a room full of them. And, and what everyone in that room has the, has to understand is that there's a responsibility to that, for, that comes with that. Cause we are now those people for the next generation of, 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 of kids. We are all people that can, we, they can point to and say, I want to do that. And so if me being on the Oscar stage and Riz being on, and, and Anil being on the Oscar stage that night, winning in an Oscar, Anil and Riz are the ninth and 10th South Asians to ever win an Oscar. I became the 11th three in one night. That's never happened. Yeah. If we are now those people for, for a generation of kids that want to get into filmmaking, to want to become actors, producers, directors, writers, that's an incredible, incredible thing to live with. Yeah. And it also comes with a lot of responsibility. And I think part of what that responsibility is, people say they want diversity in these creative fields, but unless you're actively working for it on every production, on every endeavor, and every film, and every TV show, and not just making space, but su- providing support, allowing people to fail and to, 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 to fail and get up and try again, a lot of times diversity just means headcount. Yeah. And people aren't given the resources or the support they need to succeed. And so when they fail, people say, see, they failed. Let's not do that again. Right. Um, we have to be able to fail just like the, the most mediocre of white guys fail is allowed to fail and try again. And it's up to us in, in the things that we work on to, to create that space and actively create that space and actively support the people we hire. I, well, on any production I do now, it's very important for me to 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 staff those productions 
with people who don't usually get those opportunities. And um, the thing I've discovered is that there's a few people at the top that we can point to, and there's a lot of kids on the bottom who are just getting started, and there's not that sort of middle layer of people who that, that hasn't been cultivated. And so it's not enough to just say, oh, well, find me a black DP or a black director to tell this story or find me an Indian producer. We have to be able to create that middle layer where people can get experience and and get some t- uh, uh, reps under their belt yeah. so that they are prepared for those bigger opportunities when they arise. And I feel like for me personally, uh, with this Oscar win and all the achievements that Summer of Soul has done and all the opportunities I'm getting now, that is sort of my aim and my focus and my purpose is to help cultivate uh, the next generation of talent, but also really provide a space and opportunities for them to get reps under their belt and get seasoned and get experience. Well, Joseph, we're so grateful for that aim, that purpose, that responsibility. Thank you so much for, for joining us. This was really a treat, and I hope you'll come back and join us again. Yeah, thank you. Anytime. I really uh, enjoyed the conversation. Thanks so much, Joseph. And congratulations again for everything. And in extraterrestrial news, a hearty welcome back home for astronaut Raja Chari after spending the last six months at the International Space Station. As he catches up on earthly activities, hope he gets to watch Summer of Soul and hope someone warns him about the gas prices. Till next time, I'm Abhaydarnika. Because every story told is a lesson learned, because every lesson learned is a story waiting to be told. I'm Abhay Darnikar, and I share stories about people and their purpose. And what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Listen online at ruckusavenueradio.com and on the Dash Radio app, or wherever you get your podcast. Hi, this is Amr Durrani, and you can check out ruckusavenueradio.com for more information and for the latest on station programming and more.